how many of us know that Jesus is alive? Praise God. You know, there's actually some folks that don't believe that. They don't believe Jesus is alive. They don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. There's people today in the church and in the body of Christ that don't necessarily believe that Jesus rose with all power in his hand. And I just want to extend a warm gratitude to Pastor Alex and Naomi. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to grace the pulpit tonight. Love you guys. want to give honor to the spirit of Christ. Honor to my wife my children, and each and every one of you in your respectable places. As you've heard me, some of you, if not most of you, have heard me say that everybody has a respectable place in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. And we are living in a time where we must know respectively where God has us in the body of Christ and what he's called us and what he's commissioned us to do. He doesn't just want us sitting on the sideline being spectators or dictators. He wants us to be involved with his body. He wants us to function and operate and the things that he's commissioned us, commanded us, and told us, and given us to do. How many of us know that God has given us assignments as a believer? A lot of times, the messages that I believe that God has placed inside of me the messages that God has birthed inside of me, not just from an academic standpoint or from a place or a point of knowledge and knowing about God or knowing who Christ is and what he's done by dying on the cross for our sins, being crucified, buried, and rising again three days later, getting my name written in the Lamb's book of life, having union and fellowship with God the Father whom we were previously separated from because of our condition, because of our state of sin. But now having that knowledge, being reconciled to God through Christ and having that relationship with Him. And not just knowing about that, but knowing Jesus through trials, knowing Jesus through pain, Knowing Jesus through suffering. Knowing Jesus through good times as well as bad times. Knowing Jesus in the fire. The fourth man in the fire. Because he's going to take each and every one of us in here in some type of way on some day or some month or some week or some weeks or some year or some time or some season, God is going to take every person that is a born-again believer through fire. Praise God. We just came out of the Holy Spirit Fire Conference. 
So we're going to stay in that. We're going to stay in that theme. Hallelujah. How many want to be in the fire? Don't raise your hand. Oh, Lord. Give them grace, God. Give them grace. First Kings 19.12. And after the earthquake, a fire. Sound like a lot of stuff was getting broken up at this time in Elijah's life. Just come down off the mountain, witness the powerful move of God. It's important for us to witness at least one powerful move of God in and through our lives. Because it gives testament and it validates the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not powerless. Although at times we can live powerless lives. But God desires for us to operate and function in power. And to operate in and through fire. How many of us know that if you touch fire, what happens? After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Why? Elijah had just witnessed an incredible move of God. Most of us are familiar with the story. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God, what happened to the fire I felt on Saturday? Now it's Wednesday and I feel like all hell's breaking. Sometimes we experience that fire and that fire is long lasting. That fire is a holy fire. It is an everlasting fire and that fire comes for several things in our lives. We should not be afraid of the fire of God or when people in the body of Christ or from the pulpit talk about the fire of God. We should not be afraid when the spirit of God is moving. We should run to the fire. Now, at this time, Elijah was in the cave. He had got that threat from Jezebel. And now here he is. He goes a day's journey. He's inside of a cave. Like, God, what's happening? I just saw you do some amazing things. I just saw you do some amazing stuff. I witnessed something that a lot of people have never witnessed with you, God. And I was confident and I was bold when I stepped into this region and I saw your fire fall. But now here I am, I'm in a cold place, I'm in a lonely place, I'm in a dark place. And not only that, there's a lot of things shaking in my life. Because oftentimes before God brings fire, he brings an earthquake. Everything that you've built your foundation on. Everything that we've trusted in and depended upon that was apart from God, he brings an earthquake. Self-confidence, self-reliance, independence. 
We live in an independent, we pride ourselves on independence. We, matter of fact, we celebrate Independence Day. There's nothing independent about a slave that is a slave to sin. The Bible says he who commits sin is a slave to it. Doesn't matter how small or how big. That earthquake will shake some things up in our foundation and in our lives. And it will show us what's really going on in our hearts. Because sometimes, how many of us know, we don't always like to display or show what's going on inside of our hearts. Some of us, we are real good at pretending. Somebody's going to get free tonight. I said somebody's going to walk out of here free tonight. And after the fire, a still small voice. How do you go from something so electric, so powerful, so significant, so meaningful to something that's small and quiet? God could not be confined just in the fire. There was more to a, there was more to know about God than what he did. There was more to know about God than what he did or what he does. Because I think sometimes we get it twisted. Sometimes we know about God and we know about Jesus, but we really don't know who Jesus is. And sometimes when people find themselves in this type of twist, this type of obscurity, they run from God. They walk away from God. They become emotionally detached. Still going to church, still going through the motions, still listening to the message, still listening to the word, but nothing functioning or operating that has any eternal significance or value in our lives. God will not give us a reward for sitting on a seat most of our life hearing messages of God, hearing messages of God, but never allowing the spirit of God to operate through us. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. The fire must come. And it will not only try every person's work, as we will see. I can't tell you the amount of people that we talk to on a weekly basis or the amount of people that I have talked to and witnessed over the years that grew up in church or grew up walking with God or grew up knowing this Jesus Sunday after Sunday knowing God. But get to a place in their lives when things start to quake and when things start to shake in that they start to detour and go another route. Some even to the point of disbelieving the very God that raised them from the time that they were a child.
Now, if I was to put out a sign-up sheet and say, do you want to sign up for the Bless Me Club? You're going to get the house you want, the car you want, the career you want, the job you want, your bills paid on time. We're going to have a sign-up sheet. It's guaranteed that God is going to respond by doing what he said in his word. More than half this congregation will run out there and say, More than half of us would run out there and sign that. We would sign up for that. And that's not altogether a bad desire wanting your needs met. And God knows that. But if I was to put out a sign-up sheet that said, God's fire is going to test every person's work, who wants to sign up to be in the fire of God? It's challenging just getting people to sign up for certain things and church function at times. God forbid we suffer a little bit. But this fire will also get rid of everything that cripples and handicaps us and that must be dealt with in our hearts and our lives in order to purify us. Job said he knows the way that I will take. And when he has tried me, when he has refined me, he knows that I'm going to come forth as gold. Fire doesn't change gold. Fire only gets the impurities out. Praise the living God. You ought to give God some praise right there that he made you gold. To be refined in the fire. This fire that cripple or this fire that comes to get rid of everything that cripples and handicaps us, that must be dealt with our dealt with in our hearts and in our lives. From issues, I'm getting ready to name a few. Put on your seatbelts. Don't leave. Lock the doors, please, Marty. And do some surgery tonight. Nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to undergo surgery. And the only time you really undergo surgery is when you have a disease. When God is speaking to you and you feel diseased and discomforted at times. It's very well that God is trying to bring something to the surface so he can get you to deal with it and be real about it and not try to hide it or hold it back. Because like Paul said, all things are open and naked before him whom we have to deal with. He sees right through us. See, my wife may not always see through me. My kids may not always see through me. People in public may not always see through me. But God sees my heart. Y'all want me to tell the truth in here? From issues like malice. Envy. Jealousy. We don't like to talk about that one too much. Jealousy can become a big problem when God is ordaining you for ministry and destiny and purpose. Jealousy can ruin your ministry. 
Envy can ruin your ministry. Envy can ruin your purpose. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in ministry. It could be in your job. It can be in your your corporation. It can be in what you do. It can harm your relationships. And number one, your relationship with God. Because it can cause us to be so irritated with what somebody else carries or what somebody else has that it can cause us to feel ill towards that person or those people. Envy. Jealousy. Impurity. Listen, nobody came to God clean. None of us came to None of us came to God with a clean slate. Paul said, for all have sinned and fallen short of what? Look at the terminology he uses there. He didn't say fall, he didn't say fall have fallen short of God's love or God's mercy. Falling short of the glory of God because God desires to place glory on you. That's why Paul says, don't be ashamed or discouraged when you are persecuted for the name of Christ. Don't be ashamed when somebody makes a fool of you because you love Jesus or you pray at the dinner at the restaurant. Hallelujah. Give God some praise right there. Don't let anybody shame you in your workplace because you constantly lift up the name of Jesus. Paul said when you are persecuted for this reason, he said the spirit of Christ rests upon you. But he didn't say that. Slow down. He said the spirit of glory rests upon you. And the spirit of God rest upon you because God desires for you to walk in glory I can show you in the scriptures I'm not just saying that impatience unforgiveness it's a big one in the church these days fear adultery See, these are some of the things that God has to get rid of out of the church, not even necessarily out in the world. Peter said that judgment must first start where? In the house of God. Not a judgment of his wrath. Not that he wants to condemn us to hell. Not that he wants us to go to hell. But judgment must first start in the house of God. These things have to be pushed out of us. They have to be brought to the surface and purified by the fire of God. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. Impatience. Oh, that's a hard one for me, y'all. I'm just going to be, I got to be honest. I don't always have the most patience, especially when I'm dry. So if y'all see me driving, please pray for me if I cut you off. How do you, how many of you know I got to get to church? 
hatred. Y'all. There is too much division in the body of Christ. And we may not always demonstrate it as hatred or say, I hate you. But how many of us know sometimes actions speak louder than words? Hatred. Listen, I'm not going to lie. When I came to God, I was full of hatred and a lot of other things too. And that was one reason why I didn't want to come to Jesus Christ. That's one reason why I didn't want to come to this God. Because I was afraid of what he would do to me if he really saw what was in my heart. If he really saw what was going on in my mind. If he really saw the thoughts that I, the the things that I thought. There's no way that he can love me. Because I have all these things going on inside of my heart. And I don't know how to give it to God. I can pray about it. How many of us know that sometimes things are real stubborn when it comes to leaving? That God has to send fire. God does this so he can make us useful. Not so that he can shame us. He already knows that it's there, but he wants you to be useful and impactful for his glory in the kingdom of God. Give God some praise. He wants to use you more than you and I can begin to fathom or imagine. He wants to season us with fire. Mark 9, 49. Mark 9, 49. For everyone will be seasoned with what? For some people. For the only the pastors will be seasoned with fire. Only the apostles will be seasoned with fire. Only the evangelists will be seasoned with fire. Only the prophet will be seasoned with fire. Everyone will be seasoned with fire. God will purge his threshing floor. God will purge our hearts. God will purge his minds. And one of the ways that he does this is by baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Hallelujah. And every sacrifice. Let's let's be honest. I'm I'm, I'm, going to be be nice, y'all. It's not always easy to sacrifice. You know what sacrifice is? Anything that's against your human nature. Every person will have to endure trials of fire, but depending on their response will determine to the degree to which God will use them in ministry or for his kingdom. Depending on their response to the degree in which they handle that process of God bringing his fire in and upon our lives. We just read it, that everyone will be seasoned with fire. 
the fire of God will season you to the extent of the impact that he wants you to make. God doesn't want to use me. I messed up too many times, Lord. I'm just a sorry, no good, nobody, God. How can I be used? I've messed up too many times. I've failed too many times. I've said all the wrong things. I smacked the dog and kicked the cat and yelled at my wife, yelled at my kids. How can God use somebody like me? Listen, I didn't smack my cat and kick my dog, okay? I don't even have a cat. So please, any animal advocates out there, please do not send Pastor Alex any emails. That Pastor Brian said he smacks cats and kicks dogs. But these are some of the mind frames and mindsets that we take on at times when the fire is purging our lives. The fire of God will season you to the extent of the impact he wants you to make. Seasoned is what causes others to want the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, God. Praise the living God. People that make a difference in the world, people that leave legacies, they make impact. How? They use their talents. They use their gifts. They don't put it under a bushel. They don't hide it. They're broad. They're bold with it. We see it all over the world. We've, we've read about it in history books. We've read about it in school. People that have made impacts and left legacies and done great exploits. We've read it in the Bible. They use their influence. They use their talents. They use their gifts. When people in the music industry want to draw you, they correlate. They marry words and melodies together. They create a symphony that causes millions and even billions to respond to what they're listening to. All of us are familiar with music. There's not a person in here that's not familiar with music. There's not a person in here that can't remember a song from their past. Don't raise your hand. When God gets ready to make impact, he brings fire. But before the fire, he brings the earthquake. Then he brings the fire and then a still small voice so he can bring you back to himself. Hallelujah, God. I found it interesting when I was reading on what this word small, still small voice actually means. We would think of it as something tiny or insignificant and unimportant. When God got oh, when God got ready to introduce Abraham's blessing, he used a grain. of sand and multiplied it to the point where it became innumerable because he was displaying and showing how awesome he is 
But we live in a culture today that is bored with God. Doesn't want anything to do with God. Doesn't think that this God has all power. Doesn't think that this God can heal them. Doesn't think that this God can deliver them. Doesn't think that this God can set them free. But when God has placed this fire upon you, when God has spoken to you, when God has touched your heart, when God has set your mind free, when God has set your soul free, you can't help but give God the glory. You can't help but get in the presence of God. You can't help but get in the fire of God. You can't help but get in the word of God. You can't help but give them praise. You can't help but give them devotion. You can't help but get on your knees and fall out. You can't help but get into his word. You can't help but doing what he called you, chose you, purposed you, and destined you to do when the fire of God has touched your life. I'm a living witness. I remember I was in a prison cell. When that fire hit me in 2005, and I've never been right since. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! In a good way. First Corinthians 3:13. All of our work will be tried by fire to test the. To test the authenticity of it. Pastor Alex has been teaching us about the fire of God. About strange fire. Listen, I've seen a lot of it. A lot of it. In the body of Christ. And to purify our motives, hallelujah, of why we do things. Listen, it's all in the church. We all have motives. Sometimes we have agendas. Sometimes we want position. Sometimes we want power. Sometimes we want to be noticed. We want to be appreciated. We want to be recognized. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But when our motive is only to get position, power, presence, and be noticed, to be uh, validated and be recognized, how many of us know that the fire of God will bring it to the surface? Because he doesn't want us to operate like that. We're his children. And he says we don't have to be phony. We can be real. Some of us know we're broken. And if it wasn't for God, we oh, hallelujah, we would be all kinds of messed up. Doesn't matter how nice you dress or how well you comb your hair, I guarantee you. I'm going to leave it right there. All of our work will be tried by fire to test test the authenticity of it and to purify our motives and why we do things in or for the kingdom of God and to see whether we truly believe what we say this is why people leave churches sometimes if somebody calls you to leave the church you weren't ever here for Jesus I'm gonna say that again if somebody causes you to leave a church you weren't there for Jesus 
because when God places you somewhere, there's no devil in hell that can move you. There's no offense that can move you. There's no person that can move you where God has planted you. We got to stop church hopping and church shopping. The world's looking at us like, what the world? These people now, I know, I don't know the Bible. I'm not a Bible scholar or anything. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a theologian. But this is the, the way the world is thinking at times. I'm no Bible scholar. But aren't y'all supposed to be known for your love for each other? Come on, you ought to give God a praise right there that he gave you the love and the ability to love those that are difficult to be loved. I'm not always easy to be loved. Y'all get the best side. Hallelujah, Lord. <laughs> Love you too, brother. But there are times where my family, they get to see my flaws. Sometimes my flaws are out here too. It's not like I'm trying to hide anything. But there's something that we have that's called human nature that Pastor Alex shared with us recently about. That gets in the way when that fire has come. The pride, the arrogance, the competition, competing, competing with our neighbors, competing with our co-workers, competing with our siblings, competing for love, competing for validation, competing for recognition. Notice me, notice me. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord, in serving the church. Here I am, God. All right, get that scrub brush and scrub the toilet. Scrub the toilet. That's a good place to start. And that's Bible. Jesus said, he that desires to be greatest amongst you. Let him become your servant. Mark 5. And behold, we're going to move a little fast here. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, him being Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. She wasn't dead yet, but she was at the point. He didn't say, My little daughter is dead. He didn't say, my daughter has died. He said, she lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. But here in America, a lot of times it's difficult for us as Americans to receive from God. Because we live in a country, in a land that is full of comfort and convenience. And anything that inconveniences me, if it even means that I have to slide past a few people to get out of the road and go up here and look foolish and get prayer for healing that I've been asking God about for five or ten years, it's difficult for us to step out. But I'm going to show you that God responds to that type of faith. Jesus was radical. When you study the life of Jesus, he was radical. 
because he knew what he believed. It's only when it comes to us at times that we're not always assured of what we believe. Have you ever been afraid to pray for somebody for fear of rejection? Listen, I've been praying for people a lot of years, and I've been there. When ministry started for me, I was on a prison compound around killers, kidnappers. And then when I got out here in society, at times of God say, pray for that person in the grocery store. Oh, God, yeah, that, you can't be talking to me, Lord. I, I got to feed my kids. I got to feed my. We make all kinds of excuses. But he says, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Jesus approached with uh, Jesus' approach with desperation from a ruler on behalf of his daughter who is on the verge of death and begins to go with him to his house. But in the process, all kinds of other things happen. Jesus is doing miracles along the way. Look what happens. And he said to her, Mark 5, 34 through 42. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He was talking to the woman with the issue of blood that Pastor Alex recently shared with us about the woman who pressed her way through the crowd. Didn't care if people said something about her. Didn't care if the whole church said something about her. She said, I'm getting my healing. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking to this woman. Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Here comes the bad report. God's not going to heal you. You've been praying for this same thing. God's not going to fix your marriage. You've been praying for this for a long time. God's not going to set you free. You've been addicted too long. God's not going to establish you. You've been in poverty too long. You're never going to get your way out of this. Look how much you're in debt. But Jesus brings life to dead situations. You ought to give God some praise for bringing life to your dead situation. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Just like the spies that came back with a bad report. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine if he would have just turned around and said, you know what? You're right. She's dead. There's no more hope in this situation. There's no more hope in my life. There's no more hope in my career. There's no more hope in my marriage. There's no more hope anywhere I look. It's all just hopeless. She's dead. This is all my life is going to become. I had more ambition than this, God. My vision was bigger than what I'm seeing right now. But God, my feelings aren't lining up with my vision. The title of my message is A Fire That Lasts. A Fire That Lasts. I'm not talking about a fire from this church, from that church, from this preacher to that preacher. I'm talking about the fire of God that comes upon your life 
burns out all the corruption, burns out all the impurities, burns out all the stinking thinking, burns out all the jealousy, burns out all the envy, burns out all the perversion, burns out all the phoniness, burns out all the lies, burns out all the hypocrisy, burns out the trouble, burns out the anguish, burns out the pain. This fire that will stay with you throughout all eternity. Hallelujah, God. And the second phrase is don't doubt, but only believe. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, as soon as Jesus heard this word that was spoken, immediately he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. He gives them two commands. I could take off on a tangent with this, but for the sake of time. He gives them two commands. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except three people. Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why are you making this commotion? The child is not dead. Your marriage is not dead. Your life is not dead. Your ministry is not dead. God's promises are not dead. God's voice is not dead. God's love is not dead. God's destiny for you is not dead. Look how he, look how he addresses death. Why do we give up so easy at times? If we could only see the way that Jesus desires us to see. He can look in a dead place, in a dark place, and say, oh, no, this place is alive. And guess what? It has to obey. Give God some glory. Look how he addresses death. The child is not dead but sleeping. And they what? What did they do? Ah, this man thinks he's going to raise this girl. She's She's dead. What's he going to do? He, this is the carpenter's son. This is the son of Joseph. You remember that person, what they used to do in high school? You remember how they used to yell and scream around the house, slam doors? You remember how they used to get drunk and try to fight everybody at the party? How's he going to raise the dead? Let me tell you. I've had the privilege of laying my hands on dead people and watching them come back to life. They laughed at him. And you know when I laid my hands on this dead person, that's exactly what they did. When I found a man in Kissimmee in the parking lot of Walmart, 
OD'd on fentanyl and heroin. And everybody passed by him even though he was in the fire lane in front of Walmart with his emergency lights on for 40 minutes. Not moving. Cold as an ice cube. Came back out of Walmart. He was still in the car. Got the employees. They didn't want anything to do with him. They called 911. My son, Josh, and I walked back to the car, put the groceries in the car, and watched from a distance. And I saw the manager frantic, not knowing what to do. And I walked over there. I said, is he responsive? He said, no. And I put my hand on his chest, on his heart. No pulse. Hand on his neck, no pulse. Stiff as a board. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command life to enter you right now. In the name of Jesus, I command breath to enter your body. In the name of Jesus, I command air to fill your lungs right now. In the name of Jesus, you will not die, but live and declare the works of God. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of this seat. In the name of Jesus, I command you to live. And you know what those people did? They laughed. And that guy said, sir, step away from the car. Wait for the paramedics to get here. Don't ever let anybody interrupt when you're praying for a dead person. I said, sir, I'm praying. That's enough right there. And do you know at one moment I said, this guy's dead. He's not coming back. And for a second there, I was getting ready to step away. And God said, pray and believe. And I said, God, don't let this man die in his sin. Have mercy, God. And in that moment, breath entered his lungs. And he woke from that sleep. I said, he woke from that sleep. Jesus said, she is not dead. She is only sleeping. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father, the mother, and the child, and those who were with him, and entered where the child was laying. See, everybody can't go with you where you're going. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he only brought three with him on this trip. And those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise immediately. The girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome. You know, when that guy came back to life, those people gasped for air. It took their breath away because God wanted to demonstrate his power. Luke 6. Here we see Luke 6, 6, 7, and 8, verse 10. 6, 7, and 8, and verse 10. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue. He entered the church. He entered the church. He wasn't just in the public square. He entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. Next scripture, please. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man that had the withered hand, arise. And do what? Arise. 
and stand here in the midst of the mockers, the scoffers, the doubters, the haters. Stand in the midst because I'm getting ready to demonstrate my power. Verse 10. And when he had looked round about them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He didn't say stay in your seat. I'm going to speak a word. And that word's going to heal you. Although God does move in that fashion. The Bible says that God sent forth his word and he healed them. But here God brings him to a place of almost shame and humility. If that wasn't the case, he would have never told him to stand and arise and to stretch. Sometimes we have to stretch for what you know is rightfully yours. Sometimes you have to stretch for your healing. Sometimes you have to stretch for God to heal your marriage. Sometimes you have to stretch for God to heal your pain. Sometimes you have to stretch for God to bring your child back home. Sometimes you have to stretch for God to heal your mind. Sometimes you have to stretch for God to heal your emotions. And don't stay in the seat. When God, oh, hallelujah, when the spirit of God is moving, run to this altar and be desperate for God. Here we see Jesus meeting another crippled man with a life-altering ailment. He seems to be encountering a lot of sick people. A man with a withered hand, and the man this time is in the synagogue, the church. His right hand was withered. He was crippled. He was limited to what he could do in life. He was weak. Can you imagine the things he must have missed out on growing up before he met Jesus? Even as an adult because he was crippled. And this handicap was not something that just automatically happened and that was it. It was a slow decline over a period of time that he watched his very hand, his very arm deteriorate. It ceased to grow. It ceased to flourish. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you weren't growing? It ceased to function because of disease. Can you imagine with me again the life of this cripple? Watching the very thing he needed to be completely functional deteriorate before his very eyes. Your health, your bones, your body. Watching others enjoy life, enjoy activities, being blessed, able to do things he couldn't do because he was crippled, because he didn't have 100% use of his body and possibly even his mind. Because when something afflicts your body, somehow it afflicts your mind. Watching others around him excel or succeed in life while he himself was very limited. How he must have been made fun of, thought he would never be good for much because he was limited to a withered hand. Limited by a weakness, limited by fear, limited by rejection, limited by humiliation, limited by guilt, limited by shame. Have you ever been limited due to a handicap? What has crippled you or who has crippled you? What has limited you in your life? What has hindered you? What or who has caused you to feel less than? How frustrating that must have been. How frustrating that must be. But we must allow the fire of God to sustain us, church. We must allow the fire of God to purge us. We must allow the fire of God to refine us in the master's hand. Can you give God some praise for his fire? Coming to a close. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. 
It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus did not immediately respond to her crisis. supposed to be a man of God, woman of God. They didn't even call me back. Didn't even come by here when I was sick. Jesus didn't always respond to crisis the way that we respond. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then after he said to the to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to kill you, stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus is again taking his disciples through discipleship while possibly facing stoning or death. At the same time, treating death as sleep and ministering to Mary and Martha through this dead situation. Jesus did not immediately respond to their crisis. Matter of fact, he prolonged it. There are times that God will, pro will prolong things in your walk and in your life so that he can get the glory. So that he can display his power. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. He's all seeing. So that he can raise us up in power and anointing. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned and the spirit was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus cried. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of the, said, some of the people said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? God, if you only would have been there. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, same place Elijah was. And a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Take away the impossibilities. Take away the doubt. Take away the unbelief. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. I know you can do it, God. I've been with you in glory, God. I've never been separated from you. But now here I am in a humanistic situation and there's people that are mourning a dead man. But I believe, Father, that you're going to show up in this dead situation. I believe, God, you're going to show up in my mess. I believe, God, you're going to show up in my pain. I believe, God, you're going to show up in my suffering. I believe, God, you'll show up in my cave. David said, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of life in the sea, if I wander from you, you are the good shepherd. You are the God who raises the dead. You are the God who opens the eyes of the blind. You are the God that walks to us through fire. You are the God that walks with us through suffering. And you are the God who is the healer of my life. And you always hear me. 
but because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus not only proclaims who he is, but he demonstrates. That's why Paul said, the kingdom of God is not in preaching and word only. We don't serve a weak God. We serve a big God. We serve an almighty God. We serve a God that resurrects the dead. We serve a God that raises dead to life. We serve a God that opens the eyes of the blind. We serve a God that quickened us when we were dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus not only proclaims who he is, but he demonstrates his power is displayed in the impossible of the stone being rolled away and the decaying body of Lazarus that is raised from the dead. Look what he says. He only asks one thing. One thing that's so hard for us to do because of life's trials, because of setbacks, because of failures, because of heartache. He says one thing. I know you're mourning the loss of your brother. And know, I know you think that I'm not able to do it. And you think that after I'm crucified and rise again from the dead, your brother will live. But no. I want to raise your brother right now and I ask you to do one thing. And that's believe in my miraculous power. Believe in my healing touch. Believe that I am the resurrection. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. If a man believe in me, though he were dead. Yet shall he live. And that they would see the glory of God, the resurrection, the life, all the other distractions that surrounded Mary and Martha. All the people that were following her, Martha, Mary, don't do it. He's, he, he's dead. He's not going to come back to life. This isn't going to happen. All the other distractions that surrounded Mary and Martha, along with physical challenges, physical elements, along with physical obstacles such as a stone. Have you ever had a stone in front of your heart? Don't raise your hand. Standing in the way was not enough to stop Jesus from moving in power. He said to them, only And you will see the glory of God. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. If you're in here tonight, I don't want to close this service. If you felt distant from God. If you've kind of been just going through the motions with God. If you feel like God is not answering or hearing your prayers. And you just need to commit your, not your life, but you need to commit your heart fresh to God. So that you can see him do a new thing. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. 
if you say, Brian, I've just had a lot of things built up in my heart, frustration in life, frustration in ministry, frustration with people, frustration with just everyday circumstances. If that's you and you raise your hand and you're part of that group, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. 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 Come on, don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Can I get a few women leaders? Just a few women leaders, please. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. And we're going to pray for a fresh encounter with God. Hallelujah. That all those frustrations, all that hurt, all that pain, all that suffering, everything that you walked in here with tonight, it goes. It goes. I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, please, minister. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for these responses of faith, Lord. You said, God, if we had faith as small as the grain of a mustard seed, anything is possible, God. Father, they are looking for you to do the impossible. And just like you met Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, just like you met the man with the crippled hand. God, if their hearts are crippled, if their minds, if their souls, if their emotions are crippled, Jesus, would you loose and set free tonight? Father, I thank you for demonstrating your presence and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, I just pray, God, for a fresh touch, Lord. Fresh touch, fresh touch, God, in Jesus' name. Fresh and filling, God. There it is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, God. Fresh vision, God. Fresh vision, God. You said those that wait upon you would renew their strength. They would mount up with wings as eagles. They would run and not be weary. They would walk and not faint. Father, we just release, God, your presence upon them, Lord God. We release healing. Thank you for each and every person that came out here tonight, God. Spoken and unspoken prayer requests. God, I pray, Father, you would do the miraculous, God. Father, that your word would go forth and it would be demonstrated in their lives, God, in a powerful, profound, prolific way, God, so that there is no doubting, God, that you are the God of resurrection, that you are the God of power. God bless each and every one of you. See you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. You're free to go.